The world's population has grown to 8 billion people. As a society, how we keep up with the increasing need for electricity while addressing our climate goals is a growing challenge. Renewable energies like wind and solar are part of the solution, but we also need full-time sources of clean power when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. That's where existing and advanced nuclear energy comes in. Nuclear is clean air energy, and it's reliable and available 24-7. Plus, nuclear energy generates thousands of times more power using a fraction of the land that wind and solar would need. Energy Northwest is proud to provide clean, abundant, and reliable energy to help meet our growing needs. Learn more about nuclear energy and its full potential at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and the editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our uh, latest stories. And Jason, what do you have for us this week? And well, first, Happy New Year, Jason. This is the first time yeah. that we've been on since uh, since the New Year. Uh, yeah. You guys are getting a pretty wet start to your Ooh. new year. Yeah, we had uh, probably close to a month of solid rain all day, every day. It was really amazing. Uh, nine atmospheric rivers, as everybody's seeing in the news, and uh, just saw the sun today. So, yeah, it's crazy. And the snow level really, really back up. So that's encouraging. But, yeah, sick of the rain, I will admit. A little bit crazy but yeah first show of 2023 here we go i mean god knows you guys need it oh yes Uh, maybe not all at once but the word was we were simultaneously in a flood and a drought so that's california yeah that's interesting (laughs) (laughs) there you go we got it Uh, all land land of sunshine and and floods yes well yeah i mean and on the other end uh the Pacific Northwest hydro generation is starting out at the lowest it's been uh, in, I think, it, like 10 years, I saw, um, according to really? one analyst. Yeah. Weird. So we we don't have a lot of hydro for you guys right now, so it's good that your hydro system, uh, I think the generation there is picking up. Yeah, yeah we need you guys when summer gets here. We'll be there. We'll be All right. There. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so but, what do you have, have for us this, this week? All right. Well, I'll be discussing time of use rates, some findings out of the California Public Utilities Commission about time of use rates and EVs. Then I have the new California 2023-24 budget has a $22 billion deficit. I'll be discussing some of the cuts that are going to be made to climate and energy programs. And then finally, a little situation with the New Mexico Public Relation Regulation Commission where a nominee or an appointee withdrew after investigation by California energy markets. I'll give some details on that. Some intrigue. Yeah. yeah. I, we don't get a lot of intrigue in the utility industry. So it's always, always exciting when you get a little bit. Well, uh, so my top story this week is actually one that I'm working on right now for the upcoming issue, a story that uh, just broke Monday, Northwestern Energy has made a deal with Avista um, to take over Avista's share of the coal, coal-fired 
coal strip power plant. Uh, that's you know a, a big deal for the regional portfolio and and also uh, decarbonization and, and policies and, and whatnot. We get into that a bit more. Um, sure. Then another another coal related story. Pacific Core is uh, wants is fi- made a filing asking for permission to convert some coal units to natural gas. And then uh, another Pacific Core. Idaho Power Story. Uh, they have made a really important, um, taken a really important step forward in uh, the building of the uh, Boardman to Hemingway transmission line. Well, you want to get us started off with uh, what's so? What are you guys finding out about time and use rates? It oh. sounds like this is important. Some important data here to inform how we go forward with uh, integrating EVs into the grid and make it yeah. as efficient as possible. Yeah, this is uh, from a CPC workshop last week with some presentations by investor-owned utilities. And what they are finding is, uh, I guess, two major findings. And one is that retail electric customers on time of use rates, which I think our audience knows what they are, um, you know, being charged depending on the peak hour or peak demand, um, that customers are sticking with these programs and that Customers on time of use rates with electric vehicles are significantly reducing demand at peak usage times, especially in hotter areas. So this is reporting from Ann Ernst. IOU said most customers who have transitioned are staying with TOU rates and are not opting to move back to tiered rates. For example, Pacific Gas and Electric transitioned 1.6 million customers. 82% of them have stayed on TOU, that's according to the utility. Um, the majority of the left time of use rates have done so due to closing service agreements. Uh, so yes, yeah, some some data from the, the uh, IOUs here. The first three quarters of 2022, Southern California Edison had 185,000 turn-ons and about 40 46% of those customers chose the TOU rate after going through a conversation with the customer service agent. Uh, so that's showing that customers like these programs, apparently. And also, IOUs reported better load rate reductions from customers with EVs and reported seeing an active shift to non-peak periods. Here's a quote uh, from an SCE representative. We're seeing significant peak period demand reductions on both our summer and winter weekdays. The largest of those impacts come at the prime rate, 20% loading impacts uh, San Diego Gas and Electric. So the utility saw a significant increase in customers switching EV charging to the super off-peak window and a concurrent decrease in charging during regular off-peak hours. All three IOUs said they noticed a difference in load impacts between cool and hot climate zones, likely due to the use of air conditioning. So in hotter areas, they saw more significant load decreases. That's uh, again reporting from Ann Ernst. So back it, to you for Northwest. Well, it's, I was going to say it sounds like there's some really promising um, indications from that data in terms of uh, the benefits of time of use rates. Was there any yeah. indication of like this is limited by or affected by like demographics of the of the uh, customers or anything to? Is, what I'm stumbling towards, I guess, is yeah. was there any indication of how universally applicable 
this data might be in terms of forecasting how customers react to time of use rates? Well, I think it's kind of a new data point, new data area. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about demographics. You know, we know about demographics of EVs. And my personal take is that people that drive EVs are probably more active electricity users, more aware of TOUs and more tuned into, you know, charging times. Um, yeah, certainly those early adopters. Yeah, and there are some some information here. Um, there are surveys conducted by the IOUs and Ipsos, a consumer insight firm. About half the customers showed a good understanding that there were rate plan options that would mitigate energy use. About two thirds customers were aware of TOU rates. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, something that I think is getting wider attention. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how responsive customers are later customers who come to EVs are uh, to time right. use rates. Those people who are just buying an EV because it's you know, increasingly dominating market sales, you know, say yeah. five years from now, what have you, uh, you know, not because they're enthusiasts of EVs, they're maybe ambivalent, but um, they just buy it because it's what's convenient or what have you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose if there's point. money, if you, there's, you know, if you can save some money, uh, if it's worth your time. Yeah, you're probably right. I think, you know, as you see wider adoption, you probably have maybe a little bit less of that, you know, great enthusiast kind of feel to the customer. I don't know, but, um, you know, that, that would make sense. Yeah. So here's my pitch to anybody who's listening that might be in a position to make this happen. Uh, yeah. And, People smarter than me have probably already tried this, but you know, one thing I keep coming back to in these conversations about time of use rates is like I, you know, I put kids and work and you know other responsibilities outside, uh, yeah. you know, and just trying to like carve out some time to spend with my wife or what have you, or you know, sure. go for a walk. Um, you know, we all have so many commitments that it's like I don't have time, oftentimes to like really even think about, well, do I run the dryer now or not? Uh, right. So I, what I would love to see that would be really helpful for someone in my position is if there's an app where I could set some parameters and just say like, here, when, you know, the rate hits this point, uh, I'll like take my stop charging the car hmm. or what have you. Um, so just, I can like automate it with some parameters and not think about it. That would be fantastic. I mean, I'm sure somebody's working on that, but I hope so. Do you do you find you're able to charge like when you want to, or are there times when you're like, oh damn, I've got to I got to stop and do this? Uh, like in terms of just like the well, so we don't drive our car that far, so usually okay. we just charge it at home and we just use the like wall plug, so it's really slow. But yeah, uh, and you know, at times when we need to. Uh, yeah, there's, we'll go drive to some level two charger and charge it, uh, I see. which, you know, is, is fine. It can be inconvenient sometimes, but so far it's not been too big an issue. And eventually okay. we'll probably get a level two charger in our house. Just don't yeah. need one right now. Well, but, a good case study for us as you progress through your EV ownership. Yeah, I know. I need to do a column on it at some point. Yeah. Uh, I want to so, see what this thing looks like. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great car. Really happy with it so far. Cool. Um, Volkswagen, call me about endorsement deals. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, so going the opposite way from electric vehicles, I've got a cool story. So right. uh, Northwestern Energy, Montana's largest IOU, uh, announced a deal on Monday, late Monday, that it had a, and it and a Vista and a utility in Eastern Washington and. Idaho and Oregon reached a deal for Northwestern Energy to take ownership of Vista's share of the coal strip uh, coal-fired power plant. And the power plant really has had an uncertain future. Four of its six owners are based in Washington, Oregon, and have mandates to get carbon emitting resource well to get coal out of their portfolios uh, in the next few years, and the. The, there's a lot of uh, they they've not been wanting these four utilities have not wanted to spend money on investments to keep the plant operating after that and they control the majority of it uh, of the their their stake in the plant the other two owners Northwestern Energy in Montana and independent power producer Talon Energy certainly been all in on they want to run the plant as long as they can uh, and so there's been just a big clash over these two with and the uh, Montana legislature getting into it and uh, passing a few laws to basically try to force the four Pacific Northwest owners to stay committed to the plant and making expenditures to keep it open after 2025 when uh, Washington yeah. is requiring them to get coal out of their portfolios. So it's, okay. it's just been this turned into this kind of really nasty breakup with a lot of court fights and, uh, you know, some invicted in, invicted. Ah, I was trying to be a little too clever there with my, my wordsmithing, um, you know, with some pointed words thrown back sure. and forth, uh, mostly by lawmakers. Uh, but yeah, so this, this was a, uh, this really changes the outlook, and this uh, now gives Northwestern Energy a thirty percent stake of uh, the plant. And with Talon, that you know brings them up to. I'm, uh, I should have looked it up. I think Talon's fifteen percent as well, but I have to double check that. But this gives them, a, uh, if not fifty percent, a a large share of it, and uh, certainly enough to probably cover the overhead costs and keep it operating. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism already about this deal. I've got some calls out to Washington lawmakers, you know, about this mandate. Like, well, you kind of your intention was to take the, these emitting resources offline, not simply just shift them to somebody else. Um, that said, the bill's original author of that the bill in Washington that became law that made this mandate told me a few months back, like, look, the most important thing is we just want our our electricity to be clean. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. There certainly will be some, uh, some fights over this in possibly in court. I don't know. Certainly in public, the public arena, it'll, it remains to be seen though, how, uh, if this, if there is a court fight in here, but I'm sure there are opponents of, uh, you know, carbon emitting resources out there that if they can file something in court to block this, they will, huh. they're really looking for, uh, for a way to do that for Northwestern. This is great news for their resource adequacy. They 
and uh, at their peak hours, they were looking at being like up to 700 megawatts short at some points. And they are really worried about having to rely on the market. Uh, you know, as we all know, projections of increasingly tight markets. Uh, we've seen some pretty uncomfortable, nasty price spikes during certain periods. And um, now they're, they're winter peaking, unlike most of the West, but still, nonetheless, I mean, they're, they don't have a lot of transmission lines into into Montana, um, so they, you know, can't tap into like the Midwest market. Uh, they've been really concerned about being at the whims of uh, having to make market purchases to cover those few peak hours where they're really short. So this uh, makes them feel a lot better. They're also trying to build a natural gas plant. Uh, so they they're really going the opposite way. <laughs> the rest of the industry, which is trying to decarbonize. Um, They do have a decarbonization plan, though. Uh, They want to be net zero emissions by 2050. But their plan, their trend line, it's basically like run everything up until 2045 (laughs) and then wind it down. It's quite far off. I mean, that's that's a decarbonization plan, I suppose. But uh, yeah, so this is pretty big news. And Last time I checked, I'm trying to get an update here. The other Western or Pacific Northwest owners, um, Puget, Portland General Electric, and Pacific Core, uh, were also had also been in talks to sell their shares, possibly to Talon Energy uh, or perhaps Northwestern. So I'm trying to find out where those latest, what the latest status status of those talks are. Yeah, interesting. I was, and the plant needs a lot of work. Like I see a $56 million yeah. figure here for that. Yeah. I mean, there are critics of the plant say that this is just it, like, forget the emissions. This is just <laughs> not a, a, a economic, yeah. uh, economically viable plant. The, you know, the fans of it insist that it is the four owners that are trying to get out or have been kind of in, ambivalent about that, but they certainly have raised some concerns about the cost of it in, in recent years as this uh, fight over getting out has has heated up. And I mean, there have been times when there have been some uh, cases where commissions have uh, not allowed, like Northwestern was not allowed to recover some of the costs it put into the plant because they said it just was not a prudent expenditure, uh, the commission out in Montana a few years back. So, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of criticisms of the plant just on the economically, its economic viability. Yeah, that's. I think that's valid. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing driving decarbonization has been uh, the has been cheap natural gas, which obviously yeah. that's changed. The price forecast of natural gas is different now than it was five years ago. Uh, you know, understatement of, of the month yeah. there. Uh, but nonetheless, the economics of coal are not what they were 10 years ago. No, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. A good it, example here. Yeah. They, 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 will say they also are in the process of procuring uh, 160 megawatts of I think that's right. yeah 160 megawatts of solar generation uh, so adding coal and some solar cool all right well thanks for that update
Yeah, sorry I, I, to talk so long about that. Uh, no, but, okay. so you speaking of decarbonization. Yeah, uh, yeah. I took a look at the latest proposal from Governor Gavin Newsom for the California budget this year. We're facing a two hundred. I'm sorry, a twenty-two billion dollar deficit which is forcing the state to make some pretty major cuts to climate and decarb programs. So still a lot of investment going in. Some of this money might come back, but uh, what the governor's office said was the proposed budget retains about 89% of previously budgeted climate measures, cutting them to 48 billion from 54 billion. Uh, the, The total budget is $297 billion. Uh, including about $224 billion for the state's general fund. Newsom held a press conference saying, quote, it was crystal clear where things were going even last year. So they knew a deficit was coming. Um, a lot of this is major declines in corporate tax revenue. And we have a lot of corporations leaving the state. But since they knew a deficit was coming, most of the surplus that they had last year, which was almost $100 billion, they put into one-time spending and you know, didn't create new programs that would require ongoing uh, funding. Some interesting numbers here. Uh, Legislative Analyst Office is talking about corporate tax revenue in California, which is $46 billion in the 2021-22 budget cycle. It's going to drop to $25 billion by 26-27, which is a 46% drop in five years in corporate tax revenue which is crazy. Um, so yeah, quite, quite dramatic. Uh, general fund revenues will be nearly 30 billion lower than 22 budget act projections. So there was delayed spending reductions and pullbacks, funding shifts, trigger reductions. I'll just go through a couple of these. Um, for instance, zero emission vehicles, they cut 745 million in equitable ZEV programs and infrastructure, putting that at $2.1 billion. There was a $1.5 billion reduction in heavy-duty ZEV and supporting infrastructure, maintaining about $5.3 billion for programs that support drayage, transit, and school buses. And then uh, $100 million there, $100 million here for mobility for low-income communities, uh, $400 million from COVID-19-related Customer arrearage programs, uh, $270 million from residential solar and storage programs. So a lot, you know, some pretty painful cuts, but as you can see, you know, they retained 89% of their funding. Pretty good, I guess, and some strategic choices. And this proposed budget will now go to the legislature where they will likely make some changes and uh, we'll see what happens with that. All right. Yeah. Big changes there. Yeah, uh, yeah, the corp- corporate tax revenue, um, a big story that I think you'll be seeing over the next few years in California. Mm. And well, yeah, that certainly will be uh, some pain ahead for public budgets. Uh, I'm sure we will see plenty of headlines about that. Um, mm-hmm. In the meantime, back up in the, well, Northwest adjacent, uh, Pacific Core has asked Wyoming Public Service Commission uh, to, for permission to convert its Jim Bridger coal-fired power plant, two of the units, uh, to convert them from coal to natural gas. Uh, Pacific Core owns the it owns the plant with Idaho Power. 
they want to get this work done to have them come online uh, as natural gas units uh, in May 2024 and operate through 2034. So kind of as a bridge in there to get them to a uh, net zero or I'd have to, yeah, to get them to decarbonize their portfolios as they move forward. I see. Okay. So, okay. Now you've got some intrigue for us. A little bit of intrigue. Uh, last week, some reporting from our fearless Southwest reporter, Abigail Sawyer. This has to do with the New Mexico Public Regulation Commission. There was an appointee named Brian Moore, who's a Republican from Clayton, appointed by the governor there in New Mexico. Um, so essentially what happened was Abigail was going through this man's resume, noted that it didn't say anywhere that he had graduated from college, which is a requirement under state law, started looking into it, which she did a very thorough job, talked to this gentleman. Uh, it turned out he does not have the degree, so he ended up withdrawing his um, appointment or his filing for that. And um, so, yeah, a little bit of um, investigative journalism, I guess, on Abigail's part. She did a great job. So PRC held its first meeting of the year last week with only two members after that resignation. Um, there's a third member who has been appointed. His name is James Ellison. He's a great analyst for Sandia National Laboratories to, who will be serving on the PRC. So uh, Ellison is in the process of resigning from Sandia, where he's been a principal uh, grid analyst for the grid moderniz modernization group. Uh, the other two, the other NM are, NMPRC members are Patrick O'Connell and Gabrielle Aguilera, a registered Democrats. So by statute, the commission may not have more than two members from a single political party. But yeah, a new PRC getting going, and uh, we'll see what happens with this new membership. Interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. Good work by Abigail. It was. She was very thorough. She talked to the governor's office. She talked to the gentleman himself. She talked to PRC. She talked to people on the, the appointment committee. And yeah, sort of uncovered this. Mr. Moore is a supermarket manager there in Clayton, but will not be taking the position. Yeah, well, unfortunate for him, but uh, way to stay on top of things and keep people keep people honest. Yeah. Well, so uh, let's see. One last quick one for me. Idaho Power has asked commission, yeah, commissioners in Oregon and Idaho uh, to approve their planned uh, 500 kilovolt transmission line from Boardman to Hemingway, uh, going from Idaho into Oregon. Uh, to They want commissioners to deem it as necessary for public, like as a public good. And basically this is one of the major steps, like one of the stamps of approval they need to move forward with construction and actually getting steel in the ground. Uh, this you know, gives them kind of a, Makes it feel a lot better about they're going to get their costs recouped here. The commissioners are saying, yes, this is this is a it's called a certificate of public convenience and necessity. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah. Saying like, OK, this is something that's in the public good. 
we mm-hmm. we like the we like the idea. Now you can execute. Uh, so this is a mm-hmm. really big, uh, important transmission line that they've been working on for a long time, like two decades. Uh, but it'll be it's really key to Idaho Power's. Uh, and Pacific Core's future resource plans, uh, especially with decarbonizing and uh, being able to bring more carbon-free generation into their service territories in the Northwest. Excellent. Well, we need more transmission. That's what everybody's talking about. Well, fortunately, it's super easy to build. Oh, yeah. Just throw that stuff right up. Yeah. No, Nobody ever puts up a fight. Never a problem. We've talked on and on a lot longer than we usually do. Uh, so we should probably wrap this up. Uh, thank you okay. listeners for your patience. But, um, yep. well, so that's all from, from us. Uh, thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DCatchPoll and uh, Clearing Up is on Twitter at CU News Data. It's letters C and U news data yep california energy markets is on twitter at cem news data i'm also there at fordney energy you can read more of our content at newsdata.com thanks for listening we'll see you back here next week